Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Welcome to the Scott Radley Show for this Friday evening, the, well, the Friday before the Friday before Christmas. We're, we're still a week away, but we're getting there. We're, 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 the, the end is in, well, not the end, that sounds kind of gloomy. Christmas is in sight. If Christmas is the end, then I guess uh, that, that's a little too gloomy for where we want to go. Uh, thanks for being here today. Glad you are along with us. Hope your day uh, is better, like way better than the folks who were um, the owners of a giant, did you hear about this giant aquarium in Berlin that burst somehow? <laughs> and this, um, it was basically a tidal wave inside a building accompanied by 1,500 fish when this indoor aquarium at the Radisson Hotel burst. I uh, hope your day was better than the, the owners and probably the cleanup crew. That's a, that's a lot of fish to have to scoop up and draw little chalk outlines of for the coroner when they get there to outline where all the fish were. Anyway, glad you're here. Uh, we got a great special show for you today, something we don't do well. We've done it sort of. We've tried, we've done it before a little bit, but it's always hard because... We have four shows that are produced, well, every day locally here in town. We've got Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamper. We've got the Bill Kelly Show. We've got Good uh, Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson, and then we've got mine. And, you know, the guys, the people, the voices behind there, they're busy people. And so every time we've tried to figure out a way, hey, let's get them all together and let's, let's have a chat about stuff. It's never quite worked out. Well, today it has. Every Friday on this show, what we like to do is something called the brightest conversation in Hamilton radio, bring in someone to share thoughts and ideas and feedback and opinions on things going on in the world. Well, today is the specialist of special ones. It is the, essentially the 900 CHML royalty edition, but not royalty like Harry and Megan, like good royalty. Uh, Bill Kelly joins us from the Bill Kelly show. Scott Thompson from Hamilton today. Rick Zamperin will join us in a bit. But guys, thanks for being here tonight. Really appreciate it. Are we on? We are on. Yes, you are. <laughs> this is this is radio, Scott. I don't know if you're... I wasn't sure. You, I wasn't sure you're ever, ever going to stop talking there. I thought, geez, we're, what are we talking about? Aquariums here? Well, that's By all. The that's w- all the time we have tonight, Scott. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know. By the way, I heard all the fish died. Uh, I, I don't know. Most doubt. of them. I, I'm guessing that the Radisson is probably going to have a, uh, a house special on <laughs> fish, fish fry. at the restaurant for the next few days, uh, except largely it'll be koi, which is not usually what's on the menu. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's actually, it's a sad story because, I mean, a lot of these were exotic fish, I guess, yeah. the place and, and they're lost now. And, uh, I, I, you know, this is a, guess, a great occasion for Donald Trump to start throwing paper towels around again, but it's going to take a while. I saw <laughs> a, a video on TV today and it's, it's some, I mean, it's, as you might have expected, it spilled right out on the street too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, I mean, this is, uh, we laugh about it sort of, but I mean, this was a, if people have seen the picture, this was an enormous aquarium. I just, I can't even imagine when the first person saw the crack in the glass form, like run. It's like yeah. a Christmas vacation. Squirrel. Everyone when just runs. When your aquarium blows out and it takes out people on the street, <laughs> that says something right there. That says something. Uh, and you know, I introduced you guys as 900 CHML royalty, which I'm going to stick with. Have you guys watched any of this Netflix thing with Harry and Meghan? No. No. No, I have in- no interest no in interest? it at all. <laughs> Why? Uh, well, and, and it's nothing against the royal family. I mean, the royal family have their idiosyncrasies. We all know that. Uh, and I don't think we need Harry and Meghan to tell us that. Uh, but this, it's, and it's not, hey, you know. I understand. I, clearly, he and William have had a big rift for some time, long before uh, he and Meghan got together again. And and I 
I guess William's acting like a spoiled kid. I always thought that William was jealous of the fact that Harry had a lot more popularity and people seem to like him a lot more. Mm. Uh, and, and maybe he's taking it out on him, but you know, you don't do a series like this. Uh, and and learn from your mistakes. I mean, you know, the the Oprah interview they did is really what threw salt into the wound. So how can we fix that? Hey, let's do a whole series about it and really dump on them. That that'll fix and it. And follow that'll, it up with a book. Yeah, and follow up yeah, with a book in another bridges. week or two. Yeah, Scott. Here here's the thing. I I for the longest time I thought I don't get what they're doing and I don't get how they see themselves as victims. This must be an act in order to try and make money. And now, you know what, I'm starting to believe they really do believe they are victims, which probably says something about a certain, I don't know, a, some people in a certain generation and what constitutes a victim these days. Uh, yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, I, I believe this is like the number one show on Netflix, so clearly it's paid for itself. So is there another one coming? Get ready for that. But I was talking to Alyssa Freeman on this, and she brought up a, a really interesting point. What do they do after this? Because once you air the dirty laundry and um, you, you tell everybody what you think happened in your view of things, where do you go with this? Uh, and again, it appears that the brand of Harry and Meghan has now been damaged. It, it appears people are on more of the side of the palace yeah. than they are the side of, of uh, Megan and Harry. So um, at the end of the day, what do you do after this? Where do you go? Do you do, um, um, you know, like a Kardashian thing where you just follow them around the house? I mean, the story's told. It's out. <laughs> you know what's, you know, it's like watching the Titanic. You know what happens. It, it'll be the, the, the Sussexes with the Osbournes. Ozzy will come back for a new reality series and they'll join forces into, you know, into something. Like, I, I, you know, someone pointed out something the other day and the other thing about this, which I, I thought about when they said it, that is troubling in a real way, and that is every person that Megan has been involved with, whether it's the people who were behind uh, uh, Deal or No Deal, the show she was on, who she torched, or her own family, or now the royal family, everyone seems to end up separated from her, and they said, you know what, down the road, they're going to break up, and then what's Harry got left? Where's he going to be if this thing falls apart now? And that was the sad part about this, is that he did seem at one time to have close ties with his brother and with his family. And now he may be the guy when this is all done, if it happens, that gets blowing in the breeze. Well, and we don't know what's going to happen. We I don't. think one of the things that bothers an awful lot of people, I, I agree with Scott, I think public sentiment now has switched over back to the royals. Uh, and, and let's face it, public sentiment dictates they don't like Charles, uh, but they certainly don't like what Harry and Meghan are doing these days. Uh, but what family, look, without getting into all the secrets here, what family doesn't have dirty laundry? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, okay, so, you know, William and Harry are having a fight. Well, you know, you know, cry me a river. You know, everybody has rifts from time to time in their families, yeah. right? I mean, you know, you don't have to look too far down the family tree, Harry. I mean, your own mom got crapped on by the royal family for a number of years, uh, and now you're doing it to them. Um, you know, it's, it, it, I, there's no there's no benefit to this. There's no end game. It's, Scott's right. I mean, they're probably making a ton of money doing this. Uh, good, that's planned, but. If, at what price? And and as you say, what's the future for these guys? I, I people I, are getting pretty t sick and tired of the two of them. We got to go to a break. But what I found amazing out of this, and I have not watched it. I'm only going by the stories that I've seen. Is when when Harry apparently talked about how he was terrified because his brother was yelling at him. It was like, didn't this guy serve in combat, active combat mm. duty? Yep. And yep. he's terrified by his brother yelling at him. Uh, I'm not really, unless, unless his combat duty was a lot more sheltered now than we really know, I'm thinking maybe being yelled at by your brother in his own, in your, who hasn't been yelled at by their sibling? Hey, come to my house. You'll see all the dysfunction without the jewels. <laughs> uh, Bill, let's go to you first on here as the, uh, as the senior member of the broadcasting <laughs> team. I didn't say senior person. I said senior member. 
What is the story of the year in Hamilton, would you say? What would be the thing that when we break it all down is the thing in Hamilton that we remember as the singular story of this year? Well, it's got to be the municipal election. I mean, yeah. we knew it was coming. It was no surprise. But look at the change that occurred. Uh, 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 you know, a new mayor, a number of new people on council uh, and the way in which it happened, too, uh, because I know you want to talk about different levels. I mean, in you know, in the province of Ontario, certainly it was uh, that election that happened. Uh, there, Doug Ford swept a victory and, and Andrea Horvath and Stephen Del Duca were both collateral damage. They lost their jobs that day. Uh, and both of them, by the way, are back on their feet because they went back to the municipal government yep. and got elected. I, I mean, you know, <laughs> turnaround is fair play, I suppose. But just the 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 atmosphere at City Hall uh, with the changes that have gone on. Now, time will tell whether or not it was changed for the good or just changed for the sake of change. Uh, but but it's it's changed uh, the the attitude, and I think it's changed people's attitude about City Hall and about local politics. And uh, the question and the challenge for all of these guys now is, okay, there's a lot of stuff going on here. How are you guys going to handle this? And and the jury's out on that. What do you think, Scott? You you share that view that the may the election would be the story of the year? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the election of Hamilton's first female mayor in Andrea Horvath. I th- I think that by far is is the story. And and again, as Bill said, moving forward, I think the issue is uh, we know where we've come and, and, and where we've been. Uh, there's very much been a, a renaissance for Hamilton in the last uh, decade or two, and, and, and we're really poised to take off. So I think it's going to be fascinating, along with the construction of the LRT. Uh, housing issues, I think it's going to be a, a really big issue moving forward and how we, we solve that and, and, uh, and balance out what needs to be done uh, with the concerns of, of those in Hamilton. So, yeah, I, w- I would definitely say uh, the fact that uh, Hamilton has its first female mayor. One of the things that was leading into that municipal election was we heard in some corners there was this massive desire for change. There obviously, Bill, became a lot of change, but was the, was that really the the voters making that change or was it just time? Did I mean, there was so much turnover before the election even happened. So in other words, did it scratch that itch? The people who really wanted change, do you think they cared where the change came or how the change came as long as it happened? Or do you think a lot of people wanted the satisfaction of voting some of these people out and seeing them humbled? Yeah, but uh, only one incumbent lost their seat. That's what I mean. No, that's what I mean. But a lot um, of people, a lot of them left before they got the chance. Yeah, they saw the writing on the wall. I mean, and and we've talked about this on all our shows, guys, over the last couple of months. Uh, There was a a cumulative effect here of uh, of Seward's Gate, uh, the Red Hill Expressway, which is supposed to cost $7 million. And what's the price tag now? $70 million and counting. Uh, People were just pretty pissed off at at a lot of things that were going on and, and heads had to roll. And I think a lot of them, that had been around for quite some, just thought, okay, I'm going to jump before I get pushed. Scott, if I was going to say, so the Canadian press every year, and, and we see it with Time Magazine and stuff too, everybody does a, who's the person of the year? Who's the newsmaker of the year? If we are saying that the story of the year in Hamilton was the municipal election, is it an obvious then spinoff? Is it an inevitable that Andrea Horvath becomes the Hamilton newsmaker of the year? Um, I would say so. I mean, it, you know, it's going to take another year, and 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 we see what 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 the record is before you know that's that's good or bad. But yeah, I, I would definitely say. And again, getting back to the to, to the first female mayor. But you know, uh, we've all talked about it. And I remember when I first came to CHML, you know, we were joking around about anybody but the incumbent and trying to get massive change in 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 city hall at city hall and such. But I think what's different uh, with this election and those in the past is a global pandemic, 
And you can't go through this for two and a half or three years and come out the other end the same. I mean, you know, the first six weeks we thought we could eat and drink our way out of this. That's not the case. So everything has changed. So I think just by the natural flow of how things have changed, you're going to see that at City Hall too, because it's going to have to change. And now with this seismic shift that we've seen in society, uh, I, I think it'll be reflected at City Hall too. I think it'll have to be. I don't think there's any excuse right now. People won't put up with it. You know, the guys, there's another angle of this too. I mean, and I, I agree with you guys. Andrea Horvath certainly right at the top of that list. But we tend to forget there was a pretty tight mayoral race in that election too. And and in many people's minds, it was a coin flip who was going to win this thing. Uh, you know, Keenan Lewis ran a, a very slick campaign. Apparently it was well-funded. Yeah. And and a lot of high-profile people seemed to jump on board with him. And uh, a lot of folks thought he was he was going to just breeze right in there. And, and I, I'm not Andrea didn't start that much back, but I mean, it was pretty obvious. And I think what shocked a lot of us was the first polling they did showed how big a lead she actually did have uh which tells you you know don't ever predict politics because you just don't know what's going to be going on i would suggest though to scott's point just to, to take that one step further uh the challenges the city council faces are, are going to be many uh first of all it's, it's very much a left-leaning council i think we can all agree on that which is going to create a problem because the ford government is not left-leaning and the ford government have passed a number of bills over the last couple of months now that basically takes an awful lot of power away from municipalities when it comes to how they can plan, where they can build, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I know a number of mayors, including John Tory and Marianne Mead Ward across the bay from us and others are really ticked about this. How's Andrea Horvath and this council going to handle that? Well, that was a question that came up during the election campaign. And in fact, what was really interesting is when the question was raised about, is Andrea Horvath going to be able to get along with Doug Ford, considering their history, this was not... This was a very unique, I don't know that this situation has ever existed before, where two people who have run against each other in two elections provincially, one then goes to become a mayor and has to work with the person who eventually won. I don't know that's happened, but there were people who said, you know what, you're being sexist by raising that question. I don't think it was sexism at all. I think it was a legitimate question because of a unique circumstance, but that, Scott, has been something that has been on people's minds from the outset. Will Andrea Horvath be able to coexist with Doug Ford and do things for this city? Uh, well, again, as, as Bill just referred to, it, the council is pretty left-leaning, so I don't think it's much of a switch for Andrea. Now, can she take that and, and monopolize on that with a, uh, a premier who's obviously a conservative? Um, but I wanted to go back to something that Bill said, and Bill, you might want to jump in on this. Why don't you think Keenan Loomis... Uh, why do you think he did lose? Is this a name recognition thing? Uh, the fact that Andrea, because of her, her past tenure, has, has just uh, more a popular name? Do you think it was the first female? Why do you think she had the edge over Keenan Loomis, do you think? Well, and she seemed to finish pretty strong as well, strongly. Yeah. The numbers seem to get more solid as we got toward Election Day. Uh, the stuff I've heard, Scott, from from you know my sources and, of course, the people we talk to when we talk about this on air with our, our listeners, uh, I think it was a lack of experience. I mean, I, I know Keenan was here for the Chamber of Commerce, et cetera, but we've just talked over the last couple of minutes about all the challenges the city is facing. Uh, and, uh, you know, somebody that's had no political experience at all in the mayor's job, I think a lot of people got a little skittish about that as, as we got mm. closer to election day. And there was one other thing too on that one, and I think you're right, Bill, but if you looked at those numbers, now they weren't a, a, I can't remember who was it. Who was the, the polling company that did a couple polls about Hamilton's election, municipal election? I, uh, whoever did it. It started, there was one back in I think late July, then there was one about three or four weeks before the election, looking at the numbers. And Keenan Loomis's numbers were going up. Andrea Horvath started at 
whatever she was at, stayed basically at whatever she was at, like where she, she had such name recognition that those who voted for her had locked in on her from day one and never wavered. And she had an enormous advantage to have that name recognition that never caused, she had a, just such a head start on him to have to build up the, if the election had gone on for another three weeks, maybe he wins. I don't know. But she was there already with that name recognition. Well, and the other element to this, too, if we recall the last maybe two, three weeks of that campaign, uh, Keenan Lewis flip-flopped on a couple of issues. Yes. And I know yep. people hate that phrase, but I mean, that's essential. He changed his area his, rating his vision on, on a couple of issues, including urban boundary expansion, by the way. He was in favor of it when he was at the chamber. And then all of a sudden, I guess he read the tea leaves and decided not to. And, and when you have people like that, I, I mean... I don't, I don't hold it against anybody for changing their mind. As Churchill once said, you know, if you don't change your mind, you don't change anything. I get that. But in the middle of an election campaign, I think it raised a question in a lot of people's minds is, uh, does this guy really believe this or is he just telling us what we want to hear? And, and that indecision again may have met, met uh, arranged for some people to simply say, okay, I, I got to go with Horvath over Keenan Loomis. We got to go to a break here, Bill. But um, I asked Scott, who was his newsmaker of the year for Hamilton? It, would yours also be Andrea's or someone else? I'm hoping it's Bowley by Mitchell, but yeah, I, I, at this point, I think it's going to have to be Andrea Horvath as the new mayor, and and the fact that you know she rebounded. I mean, uh, nobody likes to lose elections, and and I know that you know the NDP is still the official opposition, uh, but I think there was a pretty common feeling in, in politics, and especially here in this city, that if she didn't beat Doug Ford in this election, she was she was out, and I, I think she knew that mm. too. And and don't forget, for a period of time there, Ford's appeal uh, rating was well, down around 18 or 19 percent. Uh, and there was a chance that Or Horvath could have been the premier. I mean, it was that just close. like last I mean, time. He, yeah, just like yeah. last time. Yeah, but uh, you know that you don't. There's no prize for second place when you're running in a provincial election. And she was able to land on her feet, and that's a story in and of itself. You don't even get a house like for the leader of the official opposition Sorry, no. in Ottawa. Uh, you're right, though. <laughs> so it's Andrea Horvath, I think, probably right now. But you're right. We, as we go to the break, there are two other people that maybe could nudge into newsmaker of the year. Bo Levi Mitchell, if he signs here before the end of the year, there will be people who would say, "Let's put him in that list." And if Michael Andlauer ends up buying the Ottawa Senators before the end of the year, he may. Wow. Wow. nudge his way into that list as well, if that were to happen. We don't know yet. Anyway, um, Scott, let me go to you on this one. There was a great piece. If people haven't read it, they should. Go to thespec.com. A uh, great piece written by John Wells the other day. It was about 25 years ago in Hamilton, 1997. We had hmm. a plastimate fire. We had Johnny Papalia gunned down in a mob war. Uh, we had the amalgamation debate in full voice. And we had a bunch of people from this city in New York bidding for an NHL team for which we were eventually kicked to the curb and denied. And I read this story and I see all these enormous things and I think to myself, is the stuff that we're dealing with now really small potatoes in comparison? Because that seems like, boy, I can't even imagine all that stuff going on in one year. And you know, that was at a time when Hamilton was not in the place that it is now. I mean, in what you way? Know, in well, economically, I mean, it was it was sort of a downturn for Hamilton even 25 years ago. Manufacturing had already been nailed, so I mean, it, you know, it wasn't the best time for Hamilton, uh, you know, from an economic standpoint. Yet there was all of this stuff going on, and I'm thinking as you're mentioning all that, man, those were the days, weren't they? Well, um, for radio, they were. I mean, yeah. talk, talk about stuff to talk about. Every, I mean, enormous events, enormous events. 
but I think if you were to look back, uh, you will see enormous events that we're experiencing now. Number one, global pandemic, uh, as we just mentioned yep. with the female mayor. So I'm sure that you will look back at uh, 25 years or 20 years from now and look at what's happening and think, wow, that was pretty monumental at the time for Hamilton, especially when you see what is going on in the city and, and, and the building. And, and it's just it, it's exploding. Unlike, you know, 25 years ago, there was lots of hope, promise, but it, it, we were getting dashed sort of, it seemed, at uh, at every corner. And, you know, we still hang on to that NHL dream, I guess. And, uh, yeah. and, and we just talked about Michael Andlau, right? Uh, Bill, do you, do you share that? Is, is there recency bias or usually recency bias is talked about as something that makes you think something that's happening today is more important or bigger or better, but it kind of almost is opposite. Is, is, is there recency bias that back then those things were all way bigger than anything we're dealing with now? No, I mean, you know, in hindsight, you know, when you look in the rearview mirror, it's it's like even pleasant memories. I mean, they always seem grander or worse uh, than they were at the time. Uh, and by the way, John excluded the fact that uh, 1997 was also the year that uh, Andrew Horvath and I got elected to city council. I don't know why that he should have been the omitted that. Yeah, that should have been, been the should have been yeah. the headline for heaven's sake. Right, but anyway, there'll be a correction in the paper. To, I have to yeah. talk to John about that. <laughs> but it was a good piece, and it reminded us of, of Plastamed, of course, uh, which uh, was one of the great tragedies in this city that uh, really left a, a mark, not just in that particular land, but I think on the city council at the time too. Uh, and a few incumbents lost their jobs in that forthcoming or that upcoming election too. But I, I, I understand where you're coming from here, but I think the here and now is why this is important. The, the stuff we're talking about here that happened in, in this particular year is big stuff uh, because of what Scott said. We've just come through a pandemic. Uh, before this pandemic hit, uh, I'm not going to say we were riding high, but things were going pretty well here. I mean, the economy yeah. was humming along. Uh, you know, we were getting all kinds of investment. We were building things here. Uh, companies, big, large companies were, were coming over here. And, and uh, we had a, a tech sector that all of a sudden was starting to really take off here at the Innovation uh, Park. Uh, right across the road from the radio station. And all that stopped during the pandemic. And the question that we still have now as we head into 2023, how do we get it back? And and that's a huge challenge. And right. uh, so it's it, you put that in perspective because we got to get our mojo back. And because uh, if we don't, then somebody else is going to pick it up. And but- it, so put that in perspective of what's going on. And, and, and again, uh, back in 1997, now the election back then was in November, I believe. There were a lot of changes. I'm just kidding about me and Andrea, but I think there were six new people on that council, uh, as there are on this one, uh, facing some pretty big challenges. But the challenges are going to be huge here because of uh, the the dynamic that's going on in politics, especially between the provincial and the municipal governments. And uh, I, I think we're going to look back on this period and say, boy, we better get it right. I hope did we get it right, because what is going to happen I think, in the next 12 months is going to go a long way. Uh, towards determining where we're going to be. I mean, you guys have talked about LRT, and I, I, I know there's a consensus. The Premier says he wants it. Certainly Mayor Horvath wants it. But there are no shovels in the ground yet. That's, um, that's, I'll believe it when I see it. I just, I'm just I'm a doubting William, I guess. But we're going to get uh, Bill. We're going to get to that in a few minutes because we are. Yeah. I want to get into that for a second. Before though, I just want to go back to this 25 year thing for a second, Scott, and look back. Let's leave out the Johnny Papalia thing because that was a you know that's its own thing and the plastic thing. Let's just talk about amalgamation. No, you can't leave, leave well, that out. Just that's for, one of the most exciting. Parts. I know. Come on. I know, it's but like the, it's like the pavement on the Red Hill. Come uh, on. I'm talking about for things that would have affected us. How different do you think? Because these things, those were moments. Those were like big one-time unexpected news events. How different would Hamilton look today if 25 years ago, if amalgamation had gone differently and if we'd landed an NHL team? Wow. <laughs> well, um, amalgamation, I'm not sure. Um, 
boy, that's a whole other debate right there. Uh, but, but let's talk about the NHL team. How would life be different? I think the downtown precinct would be quite a bit different as a result of that. You know, it's interesting. We were talking uh, earlier about Ottawa, and it's a government town. And honestly, if you've been to Ottawa at 5 o'clock, they, they, they literally roll up the sidewalks, and now they're hoping to bring their arena in from Canada to yeah. the downtown. If there had been uh, a downtown arena and a great big uh, NHL team there, I think the downtown precinct would look way different. Let me get that. Would look way different than it does now. And I think you would just you would see a huge boom within the city. That's I think that would have made a major, major, major difference. You agree, Bill? Those two things would have dramatically changed how this city would appear today. Well, certainly, yeah. I'll, I'll do them in reverse order. I want to talk about the amalgamation issue, uh, which was it was simmering at the time. I mean, Mike Harris was talking about it, but then uh, he said, okay, Hamilton, you're next. I mean, Toronto, as we all recall, was first, uh, but they dumped a lot of money into Toronto to try to offset a lot of the costs that were going to be incurred to, to make it look like a good idea. It wasn't, by the way. Uh, but that wait, that, that split this city up between the, the city itself and, and the the outlying areas, the Glenbrooks, the Ancasters, yeah. etc. And it was uh, it was more than acrimonious. I mean, there was blood on the floor in some of these debates and some of these discussions. And they were ticked off uh, at, at the city for doing this. It wasn't our idea. It was the province's idea, and we had it imposed. And it caused a huge rift. And here we are 22 years later, and we're still fighting about it, about, you know, uh, the preference for the city, et cetera. It caused a huge, huge rift. Uh, and everybody said, oh, five or six years, it'll all be forgotten. Well, no, 22 years later, it's still there. Bill, let me jump uh, quickly, in for one quickly, sec. But, let me jump in. Uh, I'm going to give you a chance on that one. But just on your point, if I wrote a piece for The Spectator right after the election about that, if uh, Chris Earle, who's a political um, yeah. scientist, did a, an election map of the results. And if you look at how the voting was for Keenan Loomis and Andrea Horvath, it was the amalgamation debate in a map. Andrea Horvath that's had where you all, would see, that's all the where you old would see city. The difference. Yeah, all the yeah. old city, and Keenan Loomis had all the new city. And so, Bill, to your point that it's still simmering, it was right there. Anyway, carry on about the NHL. And, and that happened, by the way, when we finally, okay, it's coming at you. The 2000 election was the amalgamation election. Uh, they elected Bob Wade from Ancaster as the mayor. Right. Uh, as, uh, you know, Bob Morrow, who'd been in power for like 17 or 18 years, uh, lost that election. And I think that was the suburbs growing up and said, yeah, well, take this. We want our guy in there. So, again, and it's still happening, as you mentioned. Uh, the NHL thing is, that's part B, by the way. That was son of NHL bid. Because remember, the first one was way down in in uh, in Florida uh, with uh, Ron Joyce and everybody else involved in that one. And about 19 counselors went down there on expense accounts. But anyway, the one in <laughs> New York uh, was was it was dead in the water from the beginning because there was no major backer here. You, we all know that you got to have somebody with deep deep pockets uh, to run an NHL team here, and uh, we didn't have anybody. So I think if I recall. What the city council did is they mortgaged, they took out a mortgage on some of the city properties here to raise cash for the for the for the bid for the NHL, which is not sustainable at all, of course. But that's what they figured. Hey, you know, we'll that we'll put some money on the table, but it was nowhere near enough. I would venture to say, to your point, what would the downtown look like? I'm not sure even if the NHL had allowed Hamilton to be in there, if it would have survived. I really don't That's because, I mean, question. let's face it, we went through a couple of mini recessions, some tough economic times. You would have had an owner, I don't know who it would have been, without much money, 
And that's what causes franchises to move from Quebec City to Colorado, from, you know, uh, from Atlanta up to Calgary. Uh, and, and that was happening a lot. And, and I don't know that it would have been a successful one. I hate to say that, but I don't I just don't think the foundation was there to make it successful and to make it uh, long lasting. I, I think you may be well uh, right. Let me can I jump? Yeah. Can I jump on in on, in on this one? I think there would have been enough to sustain this. I think Winnipeg's a perfect example of that simply because of the spill from the greater Toronto Hamilton area, whether it's Kitchener, whether it's down towards Niagara, whether it's Toronto, what have you, I think there would be the attendance there. I think the difference in all of this, 25 years ago, Hamilton looked completely different, and there weren't a lot of people willing to invest anything in Hamilton at that time. Now, I believe, it's a completely different story, and we even saw with uh, uh, Balsley, uh, him stepping up just even a few years ago, I think the tide has changed a lot in the last 25 years, and Hamilton appears to be a lot more profitable town than it did back then. Remember, 25 years ago, when that bid for the NHL team was done. The Hamilton Spectator put in, I think it was a hundred thousand bucks as one of the front. I mean, that was like different times, and and that was a big amount of money in that bid. And now you look, and teams are being sold. What was the last expansion team? Six hundred million dollars. Yeah, um, yeah. And and I'm you want to know something? We got to run. I'm with Bill. I, uh, I I think we are in a place now where an NHL team, if it had been here and if it was still here, would be successful here. But in those years in between, oh boy, I. And it's not just the I, I don't think I so. mean, it's got, yeah. Quebec City was filling the arena every night, but they still dumped the Nordiques. It's it's the cost of running the franchise. You know, could you afford a Mario Lemieux or a Sidney Crosby? And the answer is no if you don't have that guy with deep pockets. Yeah, and, and we, you know, even when Jim Balsillie was the guy, remember yeah. his his value dropped considerably with BlackBerry after he was trying to do this. Would he have been able, would he have stayed in it? We, you know, lots and lots of questions. Scott, what is, what is the topic? What is the story that you have probably grown a little tired of talking about and covering because it won't end, but you expect you'll still be talking about it at this time in 2023? Uh, healthcare. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and I think it's important. I'm, and and I, I should preface this by saying I, I'm not tired of it because I'm 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 kind of championing this, uh, championing uh, championing this. Uh, championing you know, trying to say, it. Moving it forward. <laughs> yes, thank you're, you. You're speaking There's one well too many syllables in there. In other words, you're. I know exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you, Bill. You're chomping um, on it. So. Uh, uh, yeah, like I, I just because I just see a lot of buck passing and a lot of uh, uh, stuff going on, and and I see people glazing over because it's the same old, same old every time. But when we were uh, in the midst of the global pandemic, everybody was committed to change. We saw, we saw how much our beloved, uh, trusted, and much admired healthcare system um, was crumbling, and the poor healthcare workers were screaming for help and 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 change, and something's got to give here uh, as the pandemic. Pandemic exposed all of these weak, link, uh, weak links in our healthcare system. So um, we all promised that after the pandemic that we would talk about that, and you know it's tr- it's a discussion that's 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 trying to happen, and unfortunately, um, you know it's stumbling for various reasons. And um, I'm hoping it's something that stays in the forefront. I don't think we'll get tired of it because reality is our 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 position on this has changed as we were talking earlier after a global pandemic. But I, I think it is something that is being talked about a lot and not a lot is being done so i think kind of you know people are kind of glazing over with the whole thing but i hope in the next year we at least move forward in some way uh in order to improve this because i think we've been hiding 
lagging behind and bragging about a healthcare system uh, that is in great need of of some fixing, of some attention, of a of a template change, whatever that is. Uh, but I, I think it's something we grow tired of, but we have to keep pushing forward on. Bill, what would be the story that you have been talking about a lot that you think you'll still be talking about a year from now? Well, I want to dovetail on, on something about. I know you want to talk about healthcare probably a little later on in the program too. Uh, but it's becoming a little frustrating because you're right. I mean, this is like, you know, Groundhog Day. We're having the same discussion, the same talking points time and time again. And it's between the federal government and the provinces. And the, the, the underpinning for this whole thing is the provinces don't want to be accountable. They just say, cut us a check, leave us alone, let us spend where we want. Well, and, and that's the way it's been for the last little while. And the problem with that is, look at the mess that the healthcare system is in. Who allocated the money? The federal government. Who spent the money? Who decided where it was going to be spent? Each and every one of the provinces. Why aren't they accepting some of the responsibility for this mess and saying, maybe we do need to be accountable. Maybe we do be have to be more transparent. Uh, I, I There are two things for sure in this. Absolutely, the federal government has to give more money, a lot more money. Uh, they've been, for generations now, they've been screwing around here. It used to be 50-50. Now it's 22, whatever it is. Uh, so that they've got to come to the table with more cash, but the provinces have have to say, you know what, we haven't done a very good job. Let's let's talk about this and and let's tell people what we're doing and where the money's going to go. Uh, and I think you can find an agreement, but not if you're just going to draw a line in the sand and and hold your breath until the other person gives in, because that's not going to happen. It's, I, I would disagree with Bill on this in the sense that what we need here is some sort of leadership. We all know that this is a provincial jurisdiction, but so is dental care and, and so is pharma care and daycare and such. Um, and, and, you know, the, the Prime Minister talked about the provinces have to look at reform. Well, reform all comes under the Canada Health Act, and you just can't make changes to that. That is, you know, that requires the federal government to be at the table as well. But I think, you know, uh, when you've got all the provinces across the, the, the country, whether it's NDP, uh, NDP, conservative or liberal, and they're all kind of screaming the same thing and have been for a while. I'm not sure you can blame it all in the provinces. I I'm think not blaming really it all in the provinces. Done, but look at the, uh, no, Scott, no, I understand Scott, that. The Auditor General that. report, Bonnie Lissick's report just a couple of weeks ago, uh, stated quite clearly that the money that the feds did give to the Ontario for health care did not get spent. What the hell's going on at Queen's yeah. Park? You know, we're screaming for more I doctors. Guess... We're screaming for more beds. That's what I mean about accountability. It's not everybody's. It's not the province's fault, but they do some, share some of the culpability here. And and, and until they get over their egos, and I'm talking about the, the prime minister and the premiers, uh, it's not going to get solved. And that's the greater tragedy. Boy, I wish we had three or four more hours. I wish we did. I wish we had three oh. or four. Now, Scott has to run because we got to go to break. Scott has to run. But I wanted to say this just before we go to break and before Scott leaves. There are um, a lot of radio shows in a lot of places around this country that have enormous staffs that do all kinds of work. They have writers and they have everything else, blah, blah, blah. Uh, these two guys, Scott and Bill, and when Rick comes in later, um, they do amazing work. For people who are listening, they do amazing work with not a huge staff. They do most of the stuff themselves. They do their own research. They don't have research teams. Um, I just wanted to compliment you guys because when I sit here and watch how you guys do your work and for people who don't know and think, oh, they've got this enormous staff that does everything for them. They go out every night and just show up and it's all handed. No, no, it's not. And uh, kudos to you two guys um, because, and to Rick, because the work that you guys do is way more than people have any idea. And to be able to talk about all these things, you didn't know any of the things I was going to ask you about today. You never know what people, what's going to come up. I wanted to just tell people that while you guys are both here. So thumbs up to both you because you're uh, you're both outstanding at this and i appreciate you doing this tonight well thank i'm you. blushing go ahead bill yeah 
Uh, yeah, carry on, right? No, Scott. no. I mean, tell me. <laughs> you want to expand on it that? Is. No, listen, and, and Scott knows this. I mean, if this is a labor of love. I mean, yeah, it's a lot of work. Uh, but, you know, something I... And I, I, every morning when the alarm goes off, it's, oh, my God, I have to, you know, get, but I love it. I mean, you know, once I'm in here in front of the microphone, um, it, it, it just it just flows, and we just love it. That's why we're doing what we do. That's well, and that's why after three hours of radio and Rick three and a half today, they're uh, they're on here for a bit tonight. Uh, Scott's got to run. Scott, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Supper's not ready if you want me to stay. <laughs> well, stick, stick around longer. as long as you it's want. We're to you, take but I don't want to overstay my welcome here. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Now it looks like magic has happened where we have the hosts of the shows here on the station all together or almost all together. We're, we're working on getting one of them back. Uh, we have Scott Thompson with us from Hamilton today. Rick Zamperin from Good Morning Hamilton. I don't know if he woke up after a nap from being up so early this morning or whatever. He is now joining us. And I think we also have Bill Kelly from the Bill Kelly Show. Guys, thanks for doing this. Pleasure to be back. Bill is Great here. Great to be here. Scott is here. Good to be Rick here. Rick is here. Wow, we have we have quorum. This is well, this It's is, about time Rick showed up. You know, like this guy does not work hard enough. It's about time he put some effort forward and joined us on shows like this. My goodness, he's been sleeping all day. I'm kidding, of course. Yeah, you Rick, know, it's you great know, to talk I, to you. I thought that I usually start the day. So I thought, you know what? Let's let these three guys have the go ahead first and then I'll hop on later. Uh, yes, the idea of Rick not working hard, for those who don't know, Scott's tongue was almost poking through his cheek. Um, yes. Rick, yes. Works, Rick works. The 20, hardest working man in radio. Yeah, he works 28 hours a day and um, every day and never takes a day off. And uh, whether it's on the fifth quarter or his own show or this or that or the other, always coming on as a guest. And so, guys, thanks for doing this. We appreciate it. we got lots to get to for this hour. I want to start by playing a little game here with the three of you. It's called Which Will It Be? You have two options. Each of you will get a chance to give an answer. And Bill, we'll start with you, and we'll go to Scott, and then we'll go to Rick. By this time next year, our new city council is going to be hailed as a fresh start and a beacon of transparency and good government, or it's going to be criticized basically the same way the previous council was. Bill? Uh, yeah, but for different reasons. I, I, I did a commentary about this just a couple of days ago, uh, but, you know, getting off on the wrong foot, you know, the, change, we need change. We need to wipe all these people out of there. And, and we've talked about how that happened. A few people didn't run for reelection, but the reality here is the very first thing they did when they got sworn in, they, they threw themselves a party. What did it cost to 38,000 bucks or something like that? <laughs> uh, and, and and look at yeah, you have to get sworn in. I mean, I think once with the amalgamation, I think when I was on council, the 2000 election, because that was a brand new city and everything. Every other time we just sit around the council table, you get sworn in and you get back to work. Uh, you don't really need to spend that kind of money. We know that right now we're facing about a 6% tax increase. The water bills have just gone up. Uh, we heard already about the police budget and how much that's going to cost. Uh, this is not the time for extravagance. And so you slap them on the wrist. Three days later, they say, by the way, we want to increase our office budgets. Some of these guys don't even know where the washrooms are at City Hall yet, but they've decided that they need to increase their office budgets. I mean, guys, this is not an ATM. I mean, get your heads around the fact that you have a responsibility to be frugal and thrifty with the taxpayers' dollars. we got enough challenges right now without saying, hey, I want a bigger piece of the pie. And if they don't change their attitude... Um, 
yeah, it's it's going to get ugly here, and and it's going to get ugly here anyway because we're going to get the Bread Hill report sometime this year, and and even there's a couple of guys on that council that have been there for quite some time, uh, and they're going to be under an awful lot of heat too. So this is this is going to be a very tumultuous year, and and they've got to show us that you know what we're dedicated to this, and it's not about us, it's about you, the taxpayer. Scott, will they be celebrated a year from now as a breath of fresh air, or will they be criticized just like every other council is? Uh, I'm guessing the latter because that's the easiest route. But, um, you know, I I think this is just uh, uh, we're in a different world right now. I'm not sure this will be a fun time for and meaning the next year for anyone in politics, whether you're in the municipal level, the provincial level, the federal level, because, again, we've just come out of our coming out of or wherever we are with this global pandemic and everything's changed. Everything's reset. The rules are different now. Uh, The templates are changing. We're just talking about health care and the need for that. So uh, this is going to be a very, very difficult time, meaning the next year uh, or two for anyone in any level of politics, because everything is different now. Uh, you can't go back and, and, and rest on your laurels and whatever worked before. Uh, people are demanding change. That's the other part of this equation is that I don't think people are just happy to sit back, put their feet up, enjoy the fruits of their labors because they can't and, and put up with this. I think people are more result driven than they've ever been. So uh, kudos to anyone who's jumped into politics at this stage of the game because I think the next couple of years are going to be tough. Rick, will we love them a year from now or will we be angry with them a year from from now. I think it is way easier for the voting public to be angry at any sort of politician. And let's not forget that. Well, first things first, you know, I think they've done, this council has done a good job so far of being transparent. You know, I'll give massive kudos to the likes of Mayor Horvath and, you know, a guy like Nick Winters when the, uh, the, the latest sewage leak came about, you know, they were it appeared forthright and very quick to take action and quick to notify uh, residents about what had happened. So that you know is the most glaring example of how they want to be more transparent. But if we're talking a year from now, we're also talking about you know First Ontario Center now shut down for renovations. You know the public's not going to be angry with that, not going to be happy with that because the Bulldogs will be gone. The Rock is already gone. The Honey Badgers are gone. Um, you know, so that segment of the population is going to say, well, you know, we're not in, not in good stead. We're going to have a budget increase no matter how you slice it, unless this council is really thinking about making some, uh, you know, drastic cuts in the budget. We're going to see another tax hike. Inflation's not going away. The, the price of food is going to go up another five to seven percent overall. So the public is going to be looking at all these things and looking at municipal councillors and and provincial and federal in the same light and saying, what are you doing? You're not doing enough, and we don't like it. All right. Well, learn from any of this stuff, though, guys. Uh, and the downtown, and Merck, you're absolutely right, the downtown redevelopment, I'll use that in, in air quotes here, uh, and especially with the arena. Uh, yeah, let's 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 do it in the exact same spot where the arena is, because we did that for the football stadium, and it went really well, didn't it? Uh, <laughs> you know, come on. You know, what an idiotic idea to say we're going to shut it down for two years. And oh, by the way, cost overruns, uh, I'm willing to make a little wager right now that in two years it's not going to be done. It's just like the football team. You know, it was going to be one season in Guelph. Well, they played half the next season at McMaster because the stadium wasn't done. And it, it, these guys just don't seem to understand. But, Bill, any suggestion? Bill, any suggestion that we Yeah, made you should when, have built the arena up at Lime Ridge Mall where Michael Andlauer wanted well, it, and they'd still be playing hockey now. Okay, when Michael Andlauer came to city council and made his pitch for that, now, yes, it was going to require some public money, absolutely, but when he made his pitch, there was spite in some councillors' questions. 
I know. towards him. There was not even a thought that that was going to be a real thing. It was not even up for consent. He could go and talk till he passed out blue in the face. That was never going to happen because it always had to be downtown. It always had to be downtown. And here we are. And instead, what we have is an empty Sears that will remain empty for who knows how long. Uh, that would have been and could have been a huge boon for the mountain. Uh, you know, and 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 you could have done whatever you wanted downtown at King and 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 Bay, and uh, you know whether it was condos or some kind of entertainment thing. I think the arena made the most sense at Limeridge Mall. All right. Following that up, Rick, we started with Bill last time. We went to you last. We'll go to you first on this one. Some of you have already kind of answered this. Construction at First Ontario Centre is supposed to begin this fall and be completed in 20 months. Will that happen? No. Absolutely not. It it and if it does, I will eat my hat. I'll find a hat and eat it. But there's no way it's there's no way it's going to happen because you know why? It never happens. Whenever a team or an entity says we're going to do this, they're going to run into difficulties. Anyone who's done a home rental project, and this is on the smallest of scales, you run into a delay or a contractor is not ready with something or, you know, this and that is not available. Uh, Whether it's supply chain issues or you're just not uh, sure about the, the product you're buying and you want to get a second opinion, this happens on the big construction scales as well. You know, Tim Hortons Field is the, the biggest local example we can point to because, you know, the the cement manufacturer or or the uh, the provider, you know, had gone bankrupt and, you know, there were cracks in the foundation, they had to redo it again or, you know, something wasn't available at the right time. There, there's no way, no way it's going to take just 20 months. It's going to take well over two years. What do you think, Scott, 20 months? Uh, no, I, I, you know, again, you just have to look to past projects to see that everything uh, ends up costing more and taking longer. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. I'm a downtown guy, so I believe that that's where the center core should be. But I certainly am open to projects like this at Lime Ridge Mall, because who says we can only do one thing? Who says it has to be the either there or here? I mean, why can't we do both at the same time? Uh, that being said, I, I, I think it's important. I've lived in enough cities across Canada to know if you don't have that downtown core it really really changes the dynamic of the city Ottawa's going through that now a government town that usually rolls up the sidewalks at five o'clock if anybody's been there they know that well now the nine to five isn't there and the city is literally uh, a, a ghost town you can't just be one thing you've got to be everything and I uh, you know although I, I, I you know I, I'm all with what Rick was saying about the entertainment precinct and still having precinct and still having all of that viable and lots of action going downtown so I think there is room for a discussion of both. I don't think it's necessarily one or the other. But for me, and again, Tim Hortons Field, uh, you know, I was a West Harbor guy. I think if it was there now, we'd have a completely different discussion. Same thing with a refurbished arena and an NHL team. But, um, y- you know, again, I-, I think there's room for both these discussions. I don't, as an outsider, not a true Hamiltonian, in other words, I wasn't born here, I think there's too much dispute between the Hamil- uh, between the mountain and the lower city. And really, to me, it's all it's all one. Bill, you already sort of said that you don't think it's going to happen in 20 months. Well, and and I'm going to throw a little gasoline onto the fire, too. Uh, These renovations are going to go on. They're going to be a mess down. They're going to have streets that are going to be closed for periods of time, uh, construction. Nothing will tick off taxpayers more than being inconvenienced, uh, you know, for their drive. Uh, And, hey, let's let's build an LRT and dig up part of the downtown while we're doing that, too. Uh, There are going to be some angry taxpayers here for the next, uh, I'd say, 12 to 24 months when this starts. And and this council is going to bear the brunt of it. Uh, It's, you know, some of them, uh, they're all supportive. 
supportive of it, as far as we know. And and they're going to be the ones. Look at the stuff that you put on, and and that we have to, to go through now, and, and all these inconveniences. And I'm glad Scott mentioned Ottawa. Look at their LRT and the co- the problems it's caused downtown. Yeah. Uh, Mississaugas now. Right. The the other one that uh, what do they call it now? The one that's supposed to run from the lakefront in Toronto all the way up to Scarborough. Uh, that's huge cost overruns, and now they don't even know when it's going to get finished. Uh, and like I say, the the worse this is, and the worse the scenario is going to be, the more angry people are going to be, and they're going to start looking for people to blame. And uh, usually you go to 71 Main Street West. (laughs) Scott, let's go to you on this one, because we were just talking about the stadium. There was a story that was uh, written, when was it written? Uh, Like last weekend, that the headline was Advocates Call for Supervised Drug Use Site at Hamilton Shelter. They're looking to get a, a supervised drug use site at the Salvation Army across from First Ontario Centre. So we're playing a game called Which Will It Be? Should we be adding more social services to that area of the downtown or with the new arena and entertainment precinct being built up there, should we be moving social services away from that spot to somewhere else in the core? Wow, that is such a difficult question. Um, you know, and, and Bill can attest to this as well. There was a time in Hamilton when it wasn't doing too well and we became home to a lot of social services mm-hmm. and, you know, specifically within the downtown core. So what happens when you start to, uh, the city starts to expand, it starts to uh, progress, it starts to experience wealth and uh, very much uh, similar to the gentrification question uh, that we all have. I mean, y- y- and we see the prices of houses in Hamilton and such and how they've gone up uh, over a, a short period of time. But that being said, they were so depressed before. Um, now they're just basically catching up to all of those areas that are around us. And this is another huge issue. Um, and, and you know what? I, I don't have an answer for this. I don't have an answer whether you should be moving people because of something. Um, you, you know, at the end of the day, it appears the natural market progression will push those services to other places that's my guess um but yeah you 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 either have to figure out uh, uh you know a template for this or you have to figure out how they're both going to live in the same mm-hmm. area together which isn't a bad idea either so you know uh it's a very very difficult question and again one that was one that was a seed that was planted many many years ago that now we're having to deal with well and and the people who the people behind Hugh Peg, the downtown entertainment group have, have thrown this out as a trial balloon as well Bill I don't think anyone's suggesting not to offer the services it's a question of is having them right there when we're revitalizing that area the right move or should it be somewhere else what do you think didn't we have this debate uh, and this discussion about a year and a half ago with the tents that we put up right in front of the arena? Yes. Uh, and in a mm. bunch of other places downtown as well. And, and never and resolved it. Right, historically, I mean, there, there was a time, not that many years ago, uh, when Toronto used to, you know, homeless people or, or you know, people that were in in rough times financially or economically or, or even mental health issues, they'd give them a bus ticket and say, go to Hamilton. And uh, one of the reasons for that, yeah. by the way, is is because Hamilton does a damn good job of uh, social service uh, structures. I mean, you know, when when Workfare and all these other things where the Harris government came out, it was actually Hamilton Social Services Department that designed the template for that. And they're very good at it. A guy named Mike Schuster, who was an incredible uh, public servant. But the problem now is where do they go? Uh, because as we, we all know, the yeah. housing situation has been exacerbated. Uh, there has been some 
work done, of course, in the downtown core, not just the arena, but, you know, there's other people that are looking to invest and build some other uh, facilities in that area as well. Uh, there was talk, remember, at one time when we started talking about uh, needle exchanges and things like that, about using uh, the old bus terminal, which has since been torn down, and uh, as a hub, uh, because you can't just say, okay, people get out of here. Uh, you can't throw yeah. them in jail. You don't want to throw nope. them in jail. Uh, there's got to be some compassion here. At the same time, though, that you have to ask yourself, is that the best place for them? I mean, you know, they've been there for the longest time right now. Maybe there is a better location uh, where they could be serviced. Uh, and, and on top of that, you know, what kind of services do they need? I mean, as great as we were delivering social services a few years ago, uh, that paradigm has changed as well. There's, there's mental health issues involved with an awful lot of these people. There's homeless issues that are involved with a lot of these things. Where is the best place? I think you have to have a discussion. Not necessarily should you move them out of there. Maybe at the end of the day, this the, the, that is where they should be. But has there been an honest discussion about what we need to do with these people? What do we need to do for these people? And where are we going to do it with these people? Rick, there or somewhere else? Well, I think the, you know, there isn't really one um, 100% correct answer in this because th there's different options. But th the one thing that I always fall back on is you have to put these um, institutions, these uh, centers, if you will, these shelters where the people are. And right now, it they're downtown. Most of them are downtown. That's not to say all of them are downtown. But, you know, I've, I've thought about this over the last little while, and why do we need just one of these? Why can't we have a few of them spread out across the city? You know, I'm up on exactly. the mountain. I see homeless people on the mountain all the time. You know, they're on the boulevards at, at intersections. Uh, you see, you know, a couple of tents here and there, nothing to the extent that we saw in downtown during, you know, the, the apex or the summit of the, of the COVID-19 pandemic. But where homeless people are, they're going to need services, whether that's a shelter, whether that's a safe consumption site, whether that is you know, whatever the case is, a, a job search uh, you know, center where they can go in and try uh, and, uh, and make ends meet. Uh, at the end of the day, we need, I, I think, several di different options. So to pigeonhole this to one particular place is probably the wrong idea. Yeah, I, I, I mean, look, it's a, it's a tough one because if you are going to spend all this money to bring people downtown, uh, I don't want to suggest that everybody in the city is not compassionate. I don't believe that for a second, but I'm not sure that putting it right across the street from a brand new built up arena, if you're going to build an entertainment district is the right place for a safe injection site. I just, I, I'm not for a second saying we shouldn't have places that help people in social services. I just think that it doesn't mean you don't have to have it in the place that it is right now. If there's another option, I don't know where that other option is. No, but here, here's the thing. I mean, if, if this is, if the underlying theme is to, you know, move this so they're not hanging around the new first Ontario center, I think that that is the complete wrong idea because you go to Scotiabank arena, you go to Rogers center, you go to every main major sporting event, concert venue, there's homeless people hanging around. Why? Because there's thousands mm. of people with money going to these places and they'll have their hand out. And for good reason, because they need that helping hand. So to think that these homeless people in Hamilton are not going to be around for Ontario Center just because the shelter's not around there, I I, I call BS on that one. Uh, and you know what? I, I agree. With, I, I Sorry, Bill, go ahead. Uh, I agree with Rick in the sense that... Go ahead. You, you go. I'll follow you. 
Um, just to what Rick said, I mean, this is not a downtown problem. This is a problem that exists everywhere. So there should be facilities for this everywhere. I agree with what you're saying, Scott. Do you necessarily want it outside of a, an entertainment district? Maybe not. Maybe you move it to, uh, you know, another area. But finding another district, another part of the city where that becomes the hub of all of this, I'm not sure that's the right answer because these issues deal, uh, these issues, uh, involve all of the communities around Hamilton. Bill? Well, two things that, that come into play here, if we are going to have this discussion and our city council is going to have this discussion, uh, and the two words are stigma and NIMBY. Well, NIMBY is an acronym, mm-hmm. not a word, I guess, necessarily. Uh, there's a stigma about these people that are, are down and out and, and need of assistance, and some people just don't want to even look at them, let alone have them anywhere in the neighborhood. And and that's something that the council is going to have to deal with, because you're going to get pushback on that, which comes back to the NIMBYism. There have been attempts to install some social services in other parts of the city, and nine times out of ten, the neighbors push back and say, we don't want them here. Don't do that here. Yeah. We don't want needle exchanges here. We don't want that here. I mean, I can remember there was a big debate a couple of years ago on council uh, because the, the the social service office was in the old right house downtown, uh, right at Houston and King Street. And, you know, when the, the checks were ready for people, the, the, uh, they were lined up down the street. And said, oh, that's a terrible thing. Why? <laughs> that's what that's where the office is. That's where these people have to go to, to get their checks. It, it's not a bad thing. It's it's one day out of the month. But people just seem to, to rear up and just say, we don't want this to happen. You can't close your eyes and pretend it's not there. We've got to do something about this, and it's going to require some some courage by the city councilors, uh, in of course, in concert with the, the people on social services, to find out what needs to be done and where to do it. And maybe the Salvation Army building is not the same, the right place. Uh, with a, one of the big debates they had just around that same time, around uh, uh, 1997, we were talking about that 20 years ago, um, was to move that uh over to uh bay street right where, where the courthouse is uh, at main street rather and 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 there was a big pushback from the community there the downtown core we don't want that sort of thing here halfway houses it's the same way um bill we just saw it we just saw it with the tiny homes they they found yeah. a spot for tiny homes and then they all of a sudden said no we're not going to do that or we're going to look elsewhere even though we found a place so well it, sure i mean and everybody on council what a great idea and then as soon as you get a free pushback uh, neighbors and say we don't want them here uh these guys you know worrying and being concerned about their political lives simply say okay maybe not well you can't you can't govern that way we got to take a break, and uh, that means I think we have to say goodbye to Scott Thompson, who uh, I think has to I'm flee. Out. He has to flee. Hey, listen, thanks for doing this. Always appreciate it. Thank you so much, Scott, for facilitating all of this. It was an absolute joy. And great talking to Rick and Bill again. Uh, Merry Christmas to you all, and we'll chat again next week. Thank you so much. Rick and Bill will stick around. we got more to come. And we're playing a little game here this evening uh, called Which Will It Be? And Rick will go to you first on this one because early estimates – for Hamilton tax increases were said to be around 6.9% for 2023. Will our taxes go up by something close to that, or will it be the usual 2 or 3% when all is said and done? Oh, geez. I am hoping like heck it's around the two or three because, geez, I don't want to see five or six. That is for sure. You know, we're looking at interest rates. If you have a variable rate mortgage at around five, five and a half, six, depending on, you know, where you are on that spectrum. We're seeing food prices where they are. You know, inflation's not going uh, away anytime soon. And who knows what the Bank of Canada is going to do next year. We're, we're thinking it's, you know, they're, they're going to be in pause mode. But if city council comes back with a five or six percent tax hike, Yikes! Uh, I'm going to be jumping out of a basement window, but I, I, I think, and I think they have the room 
to bring that number down. What the ultimate number is, I don't know. I would love to see two. I'm not sure it's going to get any lower than that. I think we're going to have to really cut some services to get below 2%. Bill, closer to two or closer to six? Uh, I'd split the difference on here. You know, we used to have a rule back in the old days before inflation, you know, grew to be this behemoth monster uh, that we usually tried to keep any tax increases uh, to the rate of inflation, which back then was about two, two and a half percent. And we did a pretty good job back in those days. And most communities are going to do that. So, but uh, the problem here is if you use the same formula, well, that's 6% because that's what inflation is these days. And, and I don't think they can do that. I don't think that's, that's palatable. Uh, you know, as we've talked about in the past, uh, property taxes is the most regressive form of taxation because it's not based on your ability to pay. It's based on where you live. And, 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 you know, if you're a retired person and you're living on a fixed income right now, they don't care. Uh, your taxes are going up by 40 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever it is, and you got to pay it. So the, the, the challenge here is, as you say, to find a way to reduce some of those numbers. And I know that staff are working on that. They always come back after Christmas and say, okay, we've, we've, you know, sharpened our pencils, but there's only two ways to raise revenue in this city uh, with every city right now. And that's through property taxes or user fees. And uh, I think you're going to see an increase in both of them. And that's another debate that they're going to have. User fees could be, uh, you know, how much for ice time, how much to play golf or the, the city golf courses, uh, bus fares. I mean, let's go down that long list. So this is not just going to hit you at tax time or when you go to pay your property taxes. I think you're going to see uh, some increases in, in the cost of services uh, that are going to come out of our pocket. And, uh, and it's, it's going to be a pretty rough ride. I, I don't think misery loves company really fits here, but I mean, I, it is fair to say here that we're not the only one in this boat. Just about every city in Canada now is facing the same dilemma. Let me tell you why I believe that we will be talking. We'll be hoping for just 6%. I think it's going to be even higher than that. And I'll tell you why. Two reasons. One, almost all the city's collective agreements expire on December 31st. They have to negotiate with all the unionized city workers and who are also looking at the cost of living and the inflation rate. And they're not going to say, yeah, we'll take one or 2%. So you have hundreds of millions of dollars that are already, you're, you're looking at those salaries and you're saying, we're going to give 4% maybe on that. There's a big boost already. And two, we've already heard people from the city say the provincial governments, the thing with the development charges, we now have to find ways that could be 20, 25 million there's two already that we're looking at big hits to whatever is going to be coming on our taxes. I think we're going to be praying, and Bill, you mentioned a moment ago, the water fees. We're going to be praying for 6% when this thing comes out. And, and part of the concern here, that, well, it's a real concern, I guess, for all the taxpayers. Uh, don't forget that through COVID, uh, you know, we got subsidized by the federal yes. and provincial governments to try to cover some of these costs, and that money's not coming anymore. Uh, so th they've got to find that money at this, and and that's already put them in in, in the hole. And and then, as you mentioned, you've got these other elements. And you know, we just talked on our program this morning about the police budget. Uh, I know yes. that's early days; they haven't even discussed it at the city council yet. It was just the police services board. But as I as Chief Bergen told us on the program today, about eighty percent of that operating budget is is salaries and benefits. Uh, it's 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 what we have to pay. It's it's the people that work for the city and the people and and their salaries and benefits, and uh, that you can't do a whole lot about that unless you start laying people off. That's right. It's it's going to be really really tough. All right, let's move to something a little happier, maybe playing. Which will it be, Rick? Go back to you first on this one. As the host of the fifth quarter, you you get this one first. Which will it be, Bo Levi Mitchell and the Hamilton Tiger Cats will be playing in the Grey Cup around this time next year, or 
Bo Levi Mitchell will look over the hill or will sign elsewhere, and the Hamilton Ticats will miss the playoffs again. Oof. Uh, I would say that the greater reality would be that first option because I don't think in a weak East division and in a nine-team league, the Ticats will miss the playoffs. Uh, For the simple fact that I don't think Ottawa is going to be that much better than they were this year, to be honest. Uh, And, you know, maybe Toronto and, and Montreal take a little bit of a step. That you know, and and that'll be the case whether Bo Levi Mitchell is the quarterback or not. I think this team should be in contention for the East Division title. Um, but I can see Bo Levi Mitchell playing for another team, whether it's Saskatchewan or whether it's Toronto or whether it's maybe even another team, uh, you know, a Montreal or a BC Lions, if they can't lock up Nathan Work long term and they're not true believers in what Vernon Adams Jr. can be. I think Bo Levi Mitchell really has the Canadian Football League. Uh, by the jockstrap, I guess, you know, you could say it's, he's he's an, he's an impending free agent come February. He has said he wants to test with a good free agent, with a great free agent market. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I think the Ticats could sign him. But if he doesn't, you know, he can go pretty much any team he wants to. Uh, Bill, by the way, let me just uh, say I misspoke when I said missed the playoffs again. Of course, they made the playoffs. I, I, I don't know where that again came from, but missed the Grey Cup again is what I was meaning. Anyway, carry on. Uh. Yeah, and and I I think Rick's scenario is is plausible. Uh, I, I we all know, of course, you know, after the meeting last Saturday where the Mitchells were in town for a couple of days, actually, uh, they were very impressed with the organization. Uh, I know that Bo Levi is a big fan of Coach O, and and that's reciprocated, by the way. Uh, he likes Tommy Condell. He knows Tommy Condell quite well, apparently. Uh, so they had a pretty long discussion. I was told uh, just the three of them, the coaching, the two coaches, and Bo Levi about, I guess, quarterbacking philosophies. Uh, you also heard him say that a lot of guys from around the league, not just Tiger Cats or former Tiger Cats, but other teams' players have called and said, you got to go to Hamilton, Bo. That's that's Coach O's the guy. So that's there. And I know the family likes this area. They, they were quite impressed with the, the events and, and the things that they were shown. But money talks. And, um, you know, he's got an agent for a reason. And agents uh, will show him the direction where he's going to make the most money. Uh, because agents get paid too. I mean, if you know, if, if we're gonna, you know, make an offer and the Argos are gonna offer fifty thousand or a hundred thousand dollars more than that, uh, that agent makes more money. So that that's a factor that the Mitchells are gonna have to consider. Uh, that may be good for their agent, but is it really good for their family and their two daughters? I don't know. Uh, now, as that's gonna go, uh, how are the cats gonna do this year, and are they gonna be in the Grey Cup uh, at Tim Horton Field in November? Uh, there's no way Dane Evans is going to have another crappy year. I mean, he's he's we shown us that he's got the talent. Uh, he had a lot of stuff going on last year, and it, it had an adverse effect on him. Uh, if if it's not Bo Levi Mitchell uh, and Dane Evans is back, I still think we'll make the playoffs, and I think we can make a run at it, just uh, if as we did back a, a couple of years ago. Uh, the other thing that you haven't thrown into the mix here that I think is the bigger variable is how many of these free agents are they going to bring back? Uh, that's going to be a big determination. You know, we talked about whether it's going to be Bo Levi uh, or or Dane Evans at quarterback. Uh, is Schultz coming back? I mean, he had a pretty good year this year, and I know he impressed a lot of people around the league. Uh, he's going to get a few phone calls over the next couple of months too. So what's the composition going to be? There's some pretty talented guys uh, that are going to get offers from other teams. And, you know, one of the contributing factors th- that helped us uh, to, to be in such a precarious position last year is we lost a few guys that we really wanted. I mean, Jaguard, uh, and, and of course, well, the, there's a debate about whether or not Speedy was here or not and whether we should have stayed. Uh, I know he had a pretty decent year in Toronto, uh, but Jaguard Davis uh, had an outstanding year. And he's had an outstanding year, and he's been in the Grey Cup every year he's been here. 
So in those and those those losses hurt. Uh, so I don't know that you can make a, a, an educated guess about this until the dust settles after free agency in February and say who's coming where and who's going where. Rick, we got 30 seconds, but can Dane Evans even come back? Because it seemed like he posted something on Instagram after they traded for the rights to Bo Levi Mitchell that suggested I'm packed up and out of here. Can that be repaired if the Bo Levi thing doesn't happen? Well, last time I checked, uh, Dane Evans was still under contract with the Tiger Cats. So if he's not coming back to Hamilton, he's not playing in the Canadian Football League unless the Tiger Cats trade his rights. So, you know, it was it was a little cryptic, but a little telling at the same time. I, you know, if I were to put some money down, I would say that Dane Evans is in a Tiger Cats uniform next year. We got a few more minutes here left, and uh, Bill, we're playing. Which will it be? We got just as I say, about two minutes left here, so we're gonna have to be quick on this one. Longtime NDP leader Andrea Horvath will be seen as a far left Hamilton mayor compared to many on council or compared to many on council a year from now, she'll be seen as a moderate or even slightly right mayor. Which will it be? Uh, I don't think you're going to see Andrea as a right uh, mayor, conservative, small C conservative. Uh, She seemed to indicate with some of her comments, uh, even during the campaign, uh, that she was willing to, to, you know, be a little more flexible about her beliefs. I mean, she's, you know, she's from a, a labor family. I think her father worked at Ford for many, many years. So she's, it's in her DNA to, you know, brothers and sisters and, and all that sort of stuff with the NDP, the traditional NDP. Uh, but as you recall, a lot of the debate of, of Horvath when she was still the leader of the NDP uh, was, is it time to modernize the NDP and, and get away from that stuff and, and become a, a party that more people can gravitate to? And I, I, that was the debate, but and you know, it was a big factor in whether or not she was going to continue. I think she may take that attitude to the city council uh, as well and try to be uh, not not necessarily left or right, but toward the middle. She's she's obviously inclined towards social services and, and trying to help people as much as they can. Uh, but you've got to be a pragmatist when you're running the, mayor, mm. the, the the city here and you're the mayor of the city, especially given the financial uh, challenges that we're facing right now. Uh, it's it's going to be a, an interesting way to see how she evolves out of this whole thing. It's a, it's a side of her that I, I don't know that we've seen before, but it's yeah. a side of her that's necessary. I don't think so. Rick, what do you think? Do you expect over the next year a lefty mayor that fits with the NDP stereotype, or do you believe she'll be a centrist or a moderate? I think her DNA is obviously leaning left, but I think, you know, as a mayor of a city that does not yet have strong mayor powers, she's going to have to be more of a moderator. So that means I think she leans a little bit more to the center, not obviously to the right, because we're going to get a lot of right-handed policies from this uh, provincial government handed down to municipalities, and I think she's going to have to battle back, and that will appear to uh, you know everyone that you know she's she's coming from the left but at, at the end of the day she's fighting for more than just a party she's fighting for residents of this city so i think it's going to be more of the middle than anything else but see you're talking about and it's a good point you're talking about what the province will look like but compared to those on council because a lot of lefties ended up on council i think she's going to look very centrist and and will mm-hmm. look almost slightly right compared to a lot of the people on the council. I'm not saying she's going right wing. I don't mean that. But compared to a lot of them, I think we're going to think by the end of this, boy, Andrea Horvath is not left as I thought at all. That would be my expectation. Listen, uh, we got to run, guys. I really appreciate you doing this. It is uh, it is great to get together with Rick Zamperin, with Bill Kelly, Scott Thompson, who was with us for a while earlier. Guys, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you, you for the it. invitation. It was a yeah, blast. you got it. Merry Christmas, guys. And to you too, guys. You as well. Enjoy. You can you can catch Rick uh, 5.30 a.m. Monday morning 
bright and early. You can catch Bill right after that, 9 o'clock on Monday morning. You can catch Scott Thompson at 3 o'clock on Monday afternoon, and I'll be on as usual after that one. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.